There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr. Dr. Robertson holds degrees in biblical studies, divinity, theology, psychology, and counseling. He's also the founder and executive director of the Warriors Refuge, a nonprofit organization in West Columbia, Texas, that provides shelter, counseling, resources, and training to veterans in need. This is the second time he's been a guest on our podcast. His first appearance was in March of last year. We'll be talking about his work with veterans, his latest book, Your Life Matters, The Toolkit to Change Your World, and much, much more during this episode of Next Steps Forward. Cliff Robertson, welcome back to Next Steps Forward. Man, it's an honor to be here again, Chris. You know, last time we, uh, you know, we talked a lot about uh, veterans and PTSD and just, you know, I kind of hinted at this book that was coming out. So, uh, man, I'm excited to be back with you. You gave us the teaser, so we had to have you back. <laughs> yes. Appreciate that. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. So as you mentioned, the last time you were on Next Steps Forward, you just started what you called a little project by the name of Your Life Matters. You're back, and that just happens to be the title of your latest book. I couldn't help but notice something about the subtitle, The Toolkit to Change Your World. It seems like all too often we get caught up in and are pushed into trying to change the world. <laughs> Why is it important to you to make the more limited focus of your readers' individual worlds? Well, a lot of times, you know, especially today, we're you know, we're pushed and pressed to conform to this or to that. And, to, you know, we have all these inputs coming into our world, Chris, and we, uh, you know, everybody has something to say about who or what we are. And, and the truth is none of those are, are necessarily accurate or helpful. And usually they're trying to manipulate us to, to buy something, to try something. And, you know, the truth is, you know, God made us with a mission and a purpose um, and, and I, and I think we need to be seeking that we need to change our inputs. So I, you know, what I, what I, what I'm really seeking is people to seek the opportunity to, to change their world. Because if, you know, mother Teresa and I, and I, and I, and I love to quote from truly wise sources said, you want to, you know, you want to change the world, start by loving your family. Um, you know, Gandhi said, you know, you want to, you know, you want to change the world, you know, sweep your own doorstep first, something like that. So, so I think it, it, it all begins with, you know, changing how we view ourselves. Um, you know, one of the things that really hit hard um, right around the first of the year was, uh, was, it was a high profile suicide, uh, a Miss Christ there in New York, um, you know, Miss America, lawyer, top of the world. You'd think she had everything but she wrote in a uh in you know in an essay that was that was published that said you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm quickly approaching 30 and it's maddening that i feel like i have to do something to make my life matter before i turn 30. um and i and i and i just that statement caught you know just you know caught my breath for a moment it was just like wow somebody who had it, who, who virtually had it all going for them, 
and to come to that end was just that's disturbing and i think we need to do something about it and I, and I and i hope this this book is is one of those things that helps well and it's very timely you know when you and i spoke a little about a year ago and throughout many of my shows you know the, the one positive thing i've said about covid is that it's put a positive spotlight on mental health and so it's bringing these issues not hiding them at the kitchen table, but actually openly talking about them at the kitchen table, you know, as we go back to work at the water cooler. And so I just appreciate you putting it out there and, and getting this book out there for everybody. So as I mentioned, your new book is titled Your Life Matters, The Toolkit to Change Your World. What was your motivation, your spark of inspiration for writing the book? Well, a couple of different things, Chris. Um, you know, it, it really started with a, with, with a conversation with my wife. Uh, she's a retired school teacher and how a lot of her students would, you know, would struggle with meaning and value and, you know, how they saw themselves. And, and there were, and, and, and as we know, there, there's always tragically, um, you know, people doing things to themselves, hurting themselves, killing themselves in, you know, in high school, junior high. And, you know, one of her goals was to ensure that each of them knew that they were loved, that they mattered, that they were important, that, that they were truly making a difference. So, you know, it started with that. And, you know, so I started, you know, jotting down some notes and then I, I ran into some stories. Then during a counseling session, and of course, I won't, I, you, know, you know, I won't share any names here. Uh, I was, I was talking with a dad who had been through some really tough times. And um, he, uh, he, he was just telling me, I, I don't see any point to my life anymore. Um, you know, you know, I don't even know why I'm still here. Uh, you know, my kids don't like me. My wife is leaving me. The you know, the only thing he didn't say was that the, was that the dog had just bit him. Uh, everything else had gone wrong. And, and, and so I just kind of, you know, got a little brief, you know, moment of inspiration with him. I said, okay, well, now let's just talk about this a minute. Um, how many people do you interact with in your job a day? He was a, he's an insurance adjuster, not, not, a, not a firefighter, not a policeman, not a politician, not, not a high profile person at all. He was just kind of your average Joe. How many people do you interact with on a weekly basis? Uh, no. And, and he, he told me, I think it was about 30 people he would interact with on a weekly basis. You go to church and you go to the store, you do all these different things. Well, basically what we did is we did the math over the course of a year. And that came up to about, you know, 15,000 people. No, I'm sorry, 1,500 people that he would interact with on, on a yearly basis in a positive affirming way, not just random passing on the street, but a positive affirming way. And so we did the math and over, over a 10 year period, you're, you're filling up, um, you know, you're filling up Staples center, you're filling up, you know, the you know, Toyota center worth of raving fans, people that you have, have impacted their life on a positive way. And, you know, when we, we, you know, when we were able to put that into context and then look, you know, okay, you've been doing this job for 20 years. So you're filling up football stadiums now. And, you know, you know, again, when we put it in that context, he was able to see that his life mattered. I mean, he was that, he was that guy, like in the, in the movie, uh, it's a wonderful life that was standing on the bridge, getting ready to jump. And his angel, angel jumped in right before him. He was at that moment in life and being able to kind of step back and see things from a different perspective for a moment changed everything for him. Now his, he's back in a positive relationship with his kids and him and his wife still aren't, aren't going to make it, but that's, that is what it is. But 
those kids are are priceless treasures and a gift. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, so, so I think about that. I think about how many more people are going through that very same thing every day. And that's the inspiration. You said that the book has a very simple premise, and I'm going to really focus on these three words for most of our conversation, your life matters. But something I like about it is that it has a lot of different stories ranging from, you mentioned a moment ago, Mother Teresa and Gandhi, Helen Keller, to people you personally know, but our readers probably don't, such as people who've experienced post-traumatic stress or disability. Besides insurance salesmen, would you share one or two of those stories from the book? And what was it about each of those stories that prompted you to choose them? Yeah, um, one of the stories that I'll that I'll share, um, well, two. Um, you know, I love the story of uh, Annie. Um, Annie is pretty special. Uh, in fact, it was also one of the underlying motivations for how the book ended up being structured with all the stories of different lives that mattered. Um, Annie was a young girl, about uh, ten or eleven years old, but she was diagnosed as being clinically insane. Um, her nickname was crazy Annie and put into a dungeon at a mental health hospital, you know, in, in a mental hospital, you know, when she wasn't screaming and banging her head against the wall, she was in a catatonic state, completely unmanageable. There was nothing anybody thought they could do for, her. but then there was this elderly nurse who was at the end of her career, who was a woman of faith and just wanted to see what she could do. Cause she believes that she believed that all of God's children just needed to know they were loved. So during her lunch hour, she would trek down to the dungeons, what they called it, and she would eat lunch and she would talk with Annie and she would sometimes sing. And then one week she had part of her part of her uh, dessert left. So she left part of that brownie on the uh, on the uh, food uh, tray to you know, you know to Annie's cell. And you know Annie didn't respond, nothing like that. So. She didn't know. So, you know, so she left, went back to work. The next day she came down and realized that the little dessert was gone. So she kept doing this um, over the course of several weeks. And in a couple of weeks, Annie started talking to her. And after a month or so, the doctor started to notice, notice a difference. After a year of this, Annie was then moved to the normal floor and is seen as so, such dramatic improvement that she could be, you know, you know, you know, you know, return to normal mental health type hospital work. And when she, and when she became of age uh, to be released and, and was deemed to be healthy and, 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 and okay to be released, she made the decision not to go because she wanted to turn around and do for somebody else what this elderly now retired nurse had done for her. Her name is Annie Sullivan. And the person she turned around and did what she did for her was obviously, as we know, the rest of the story, Helen Keller. That, but think about that for just a moment, um, Chris, just that one simple act of, of kindness, just coming down and interacting and sharing just a little bit. It didn't cost her anything, but a, but a, but a few trips up and down some stairs and, and a little bit of, and a little bit of food, but it changed the world. It changed her world which turn around and impacted so many other people. Um, you know, there's a, um, there's another story that, um, that I, you know, I, I can only share part of it because it's, because it's very involved and it was the, uh, you know, it's, it's a story I share about, uh, PTSD. Um, 
young man was serving in the army. You know, he was a, he was a driver, um, you know, in, you know, in Iraq and, you know, going out on missions, it was hot, tough work. Uh, you never knew what was going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, one day when they were out on, when, when they were out on patrols, um, the, uh, the mind sensing vehicle around them and, you know, and, and in front of them, um, since something was up, they stopped. And that was really pretty much the last thing he remembers in that moment, because the, the IED, the, uh, improvised explosive device was remotely detonated manually, you know, you know, you know, you're, you're remotely detonated. And it, and it basically turned that mind sensing vehicle into, you know, raining metal in front of them. And it, and it turned, um, this, this young, this young soldier's vehicle upside down. You know, it, it was a horrible, it was a horrific explosion, you know, shots started ringing out. Um, I mean, it, I mean, it was horrible. Um, and you know, this, this, this guy was, um, you know, was injured a little bit, but the, but the thing that, that, you know, you know, that happened was one of this young man's best friends was in that vehicle that basically disintegrated. And there's, there's a survivor's remorse and there's the, you know, you're never knowing, uh, what's coming next. Uh, when he, when he got home, cause he, he went on leave, went to the hospital, went on leave. Um, he was going through the airport and he sees somebody that looks like he was from the Middle East opening, you know, opening up and getting his cell phone out. And that triggered his PTSD response. And, you know, he basically had a, you know, just, just kind of a personal meltdown. Went home, trouble getting out of bed, trouble doing anything. But then his family and his father um, intervened and started talking to him and finally got him to open up and talk about it. And, and it was that kind of intimacy. And then at, beyond that, but continuing to seek help uh, that, that turned that young man's life from being a statistic because he, wasn't, he, he knew that the way he was inside, he couldn't remain. Um, but his family reminded him how much he mattered to them. And so he got the help he needed. Um, he saw that he was, he was, he was valuable, saw, got the help that he needed. And, and now uh, has a happy family of his own and is able to turn around and give back to others. You know, these are just some of the stories. There's, there's quite a few in there. Um, some are not happy because that's just life. Um, sometimes life doesn't go well, but um, it doesn't diminish our value, though. And how do all those different stories, the ones you shared, as well as the other stories in the book, how do they connect into a common thread? The way they connect to a common thread is that we're all going through something in life. Um, a lot of times we see on, on social media today how, you know, we see people in you know, perfect pictures on perfect vacations in front of brand new homes and, and everything seems perfect. But if you were to pull away the veil and pull back the, the, you know, the camera, you would see that the couple were just fighting or that they just went into so much debt to get the new vehicle or do this or do that. 
um, when they step away from the camera and, and, and everything else, they're struggling with depression or they're struggling with tragedy and loss. We all have some something we're going through. And a lot of times that something we're going through makes us feel like we don't matter. Like no matter what we do, we, we don't matter. Our, our best efforts fall, always fall short, always fall short. And, and the truth is we are making a bigger difference every day than we can imagine. Um, you know, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but, but that's the, that's the crux of it. And it's a perfect segue. My next question, you know, what leads people to believe the world would be better off without them? You're focusing on your life matters. And you just mentioned, you know, people think it doesn't matter. How do you get to that point? Wow. You know, that's a, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I will um, talk a little bit about my own story here because, because I've been there and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that lead you to that, lead you to that point. Um, I was there at, at really two different places in my life. The first one was when I, when I, when I, when I lost my wife and little girl in a car accident, it's been about 21 years ago now. Uh, but I will tell you that there were, there were points during that time. And, you know, you know, you know, after that, where that's how I felt. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, you know, the woman who had never gotten a speeding ticket, never been in a car accident, um, uh, never had anything like that happen. And I had been, I'd been getting speeding tickets since I was old enough to drive, uh, had, had been in, you know, you know, a, a few accidents, nothing ever, nothing ever major, but still. Um, and, and one morning on the way to take our little girl to the doctor, um, two lane road, um, drops off the shoulder on one side and in an attempt to correct overcorrects and corrects into, uh, incoming traffic. Um, you know, we, we lost her that day after she was life flighted to the hospital and my little girl who was in the car, uh, we lost her later that same week. And you, you just get to a point to where you feel hopeless and you feel helpless. Um, in fact, I remember getting to a point to where it felt like everything was literally, you know, closing in on me. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and while it was, I, you know, I remember the day it was raining outside, but on the inside, it was raining even more. And, you know, you just, it, it, it overtakes you uh, and it makes you feel that way. It really does. And, uh, you know, and it was just one of those moments where um, you really felt like the world would be better off. You would be better off without you in this world. Um, and in your work with people who have suicidal thoughts, is there a tipping point? You mentioned yours. Do you see where people either move beyond the self-destructive thoughts or go forward with an attempt to kill themselves? And are there warning signs we should look for, whether in ourselves or others, to tell us when it's time to seek help? Well, um, I'm gonna, you know, start with the start with the last part of that question first. I think most of us, at some point in our lives, should have what I refer to as a paid friend. In other words, a counselor, somebody to talk to, because too often in this world we are um, too busy, too caught up in trying to maintain a certain image. And we lose track of the fact that, you know, if we can't deal with these things, one day they will deal with us. 
I mean, as men, especially, we are really good at compartmentalizing. We can put that, that issue in the box and we'll deal with it when we have to deal with it. But the problem is that box grows and it creates a life of its own and it becomes, it becomes its own pandemic and, 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 you know, you know, in our own mental health. So having somebody where we can unload to on a, on a, on, on a regular basis is a good idea. Um, how they get to the tipping point, everybody is different. You know, at the Warriors Refuge, we deal with um, veterans who are, who are uh, considering suicide every week. I mean, it's, uh, that's why we are so hyper diligent. Everybody's in counseling. Um, and if there's ever been a chemical dependency issue in your life, you're in chemical dependency counseling too. Okay. Doesn't matter. You're, you're, you know, you're going to be receiving counseling. And if there's, and if there's a history of mental health issues, you're being physically checked on every day. And it's in those checks that we run across the person who has the pill bottle out in front of him, out in front of him that he shouldn't have. Um, he, he, he shouldn't have it. And that opens the door for questions that opens the door for those kind of conversations. And it's, you know, my life is over. I can't do this anymore for a veteran. A lot of times it's that they can't live with the, the images, the nightmares, the PTSD, the, the recurring, the, the way that it, uh, you know, things that it leads them to do to try to numb it out, the drugs, the alcohol, because those are oftentimes co-occurring. For an individual, it's different. Sometimes it's tragedy that brings it brings us to it. Sometimes it is financial loss. Sometimes it's loss of a of a relationship. Sometimes it's just over being overwhelmed by by this world that seems to constantly pull at us from all these different directions, and we just we just get to a point of of hopelessness. It's different for everybody. But, but some of the, some of the signs, you know, you asked about that. Some of the signs, you know, you know, some of the typical signs are when, when somebody who's normally talkative begins to withdraw, you know, if, you know, when, when they withdraw and, and we notice it, we really need to step in. And, and I don't mean that we, we step in in an intervention way where we're surrounding them with a bunch of people and all that. No, we just talk to them. And we don't necessarily have to talk to them about why they're not talking. We just talk to them and it will come out. If we'll just talk to them, maybe we approach them with, Hey, listen, I just want to, I'm having, I'm having this problem. And I wanted to talk to you because what we do in that moment is we help them take their mind off of themselves and put a, put it on another problem, which can alleviate them. But the other thing that it does is it now opens the door to let them know it's okay to talk about their problem and, you know, just, just talk to them. And, you know, then there's the, there's the classic signs of when somebody's giving away everything and, um, and all that. So, I mean, I mean, those are, those are two very basic. The main thing is pay attention because there are signs. Just pay attention. May's mental health awareness month. So it's very timely to have you on the show today. As well as the, the launch of your books, really appreciate your time on this. The book is divided into two sections. The first section is story heavy. And the second is heavy with practical information, such as improving our inputs. Can you drill down on some of that practical information about what we can do to improve our world and our mental well-being? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my one of my favorite topics in in mental health is is the is the area of psychology called positive psychology. I absolutely love it. I re, I remember going through, you know, you know, going through the coursework and learning about this for the first time. Um, a lot of people don't know what positive psychology is. They hear that term and they're like, "What is that?" Um, originally, psychology, you know, you know, psychiatry was was developed to help people who were truly miserable become less miserable. That was their that was their thought process, and and they got relatively good at that. Positive psychology is meant to take people who are who have improved, who, who are just kind of slightly miserable and get them to a point of happiness. Find that way to truly improve their level of, of well-being. And, you know, there are some things that, that each of us can do on a daily basis that, is, that has been studied and, and, is, and is important that we're doing. Uh, in the book, I talk about those and I talk about the research associated with it as well. But, you know, some of it's really simple. Like, you know, we've, you know, you know, well, well, well let me kind of give you, give you a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit more background. Um, they, uh, they did a study. Um, I'm kind of a study research reading geek. So, so, so they did a study and they, and they, and, and they studied somebody who had just won the lottery versus someone who had just become a paraplegic. Okay. And in those, first weeks after both of those events, one of their, one of their happiness levels is through the roof. And one of them is way, way down, obviously. And, and it's not hard to guess which, but here's my question for you, Chris, where is their happiness level a year later? Absolutely the same. Absolutely the same because our, our mental and physical being seeks to find that status quo, seeks to come back to that, that baseline level of where we were before. So what the positive psychologists went and, went and, went and, you know, went and studied and researched, what are some ways that we can begin to improve that, move that, move that uh, needle up where it's consistently up? And, and I'll give you just a quick rundown. Uh, the first one, obviously, is exercise. Exercise is, is, is known to, you know, the endorphins and, and get everything going. Um, something else that's really important is a, a time of daily meditation on something sacred and, and everybody's definition of that is different. Mine is, m mine is the Bible. Mine, I, I go through, through some devotionals in the morning and when I don't do it, it's kind of like my, you know, my day is not complete, but that said to elevate your, your level of happiness. Um, something else that they, that they say is a, is a gratitude journal on a daily basis writing down just a few things on a daily basis what, that you are truly grateful for, whether it be that day, that month, that year, whatever it is. And then one of the, one of the last things that they, that they talk about is doing something for somebody else who cannot return the favor. Um, doing that, doing something, giving, giving of yourself, uh, physically making a difference. They say that that is like taking somebody that's, making 25,000 a year and giving them a pay raise to $75,000 a year. It's that kind of mental uh, elevation, but doing it all, doing these things on a regular basis um, 
has been shown to consistently elevate our, our personal sense of well-being um, dramatically. And, uh, and I couldn't um, uh, recommend them any more highly. Now, they're not the entire solution, but it certainly is something that each person can do on a regular basis. And you touched on journaling there. The number of articles I've read the last several months focused on journaling for your mental health. It's probably the most I've seen in any one topic. So, so I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It helps you to unload, unpack your world. It's just you and your pen. Yep. We've been talking to Dr. Cliff Robertson Jr. And we'll be right back after a short break. Are you inspired by stories about personal empowerment, well-being, and the motivation to achieve more? Get ready for Next Steps Forward with Chris Meek. Each week, Chris will talk with experts and icons from different walks of life who personify energy, direction, excitement, and purpose as they take bold steps forward in pursuit of excellence and service to others. Tune in to Next Steps Forward, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And we're with Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr., Executive Director of the Warriors Refuge, a nonprofit organization in West Columbia, Texas, that provides shelter, counseling, resources, and training to veterans in need. He's also the author of two books, Transformed was his first book, and his latest work is Your Life Matters, The Toolkit to Change Your World. So Cliff, we covered a lot of real estate in the first half of the show. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and you and I swapped a couple of emails and phone calls about things we wanted to talk about. I want to go back to one of the guests I had on the show last summer, one of my all-time favorite shows, because he was, he was eating his lunch during the podcast, which was very interesting. 
So I was <laughs> former San Francisco 49er. And as my listeners know, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. You're a Texas boy, Dallas Cowboy, Charles Haley. He's in the Hall of Fame, but he's also struggled with mental health issues throughout his life. He was the next steps forward, as I mentioned last summer, and said that in his darkest moments, he could think of 99 reasons to kill himself. But you always have to find that one reason not to. You shared with us, you know, the very dark place you were in before in your life. You know, what took you there? What was the one reason that you found that you didn't want to go forward? Well, the uh, when I when I lost my wife and and, and little girl, um, one of the things I didn't mention in the last segment was I I I, I have a son. Um, at that moment, he was. Um, nine getting ready to be 10 years old and what what pulled you know one of the things that pulled me back from the edge um and i and i got to that edge a couple of times not just once it wasn't just one and done uh that's the thing about mental health is that and and this is what i what i what i, what I really want people to hear is that um there's there's no quick fix to any of this um it requires a a disciplined effort and, you know, kind of, you know, we have to stay with it. We have to, we have to keep these things in mind. So, um, but what kept coming back to me once I got past that, you know, that, that crisis moment that I, that I mentioned earlier, where I feel like everything was closing in on me. Um, what, um, beyond that, what kept, what kept coming back to me was what would it do to him? What would it do to him? How would it, how would it impact his life? What would it cause him to do? And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, you know, especially a, a young boy who had just lost his mom, just lost his sister, his younger sister. And, um, I, you know, that, that, that was my, that was my one thing in that, you know, in those moments, uh, cause like I said, there was more than one. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you know, if we're, you know, if, you know, if we're, if we're being, being open here and, and if you were to pick up the book transformed, you know, the story isn't, isn't pretty. Uh, there's, there's, you know, um, that, that loss of my wife and, and little girl cascaded into a lot of other things. And one of the things that I'm, I'm only recently coming to grips with is that, um, is that I suffered, you know, some PTSD from, you know, from my time in the, you know, in the Navy. I had a, I was controlling, I was an air traffic controller and I almost had an F-14 drive into the back of the ship. The pilot got vertigo and, um, and it got really scary. I like fully loaded, you know, with, with bombs and everything that they, you know, you know, they carry when they're on mission and all that. And, um, missed the back in the ship by like four feet. Um, and at, you know, 170 miles an hour, that's, that's not much. Um, but you know, you, you know, you put all that together and it led me down a, you know, a really dark path. And, and I got to a point where I had, I literally lost everything. And, and it was that point that, it, you know, that, 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 those thoughts of being, being worth more dead than alive and, and all that, you know, came, you know, came, came back to my mind. And, and I will tell you that in that, in that moment, it, it came back to faith. Um, you know, you know, crying out to God in that moment. And, um, that's, that's what really began to pull me back. Uh, that was, that was my dark, you know, 
rock bottom, flat on my back again, having lost everything. Um, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't pretty. So you mentioned your book transformed, which is your personal story. That was your first book. And right. when I have authors on the show, you know, I asked them, is it a labor of love or is it a real labor? Uh, but since you've just published your second book, it's a labor of love, but you just talked about faith. You write in both books about your faith, but in transform you described how your faith was put to the ultimate test. How does one maintain their faith in a higher being when everything's going so wrong, the world's going to shit around them? <laughs> you know, um, I would love to tell you that, that it's easy, but it's not. Um, anybody that tells you that they don't have questions, they don't have doubts, um, is probably not telling you the truth. Um, but, but I guess what you do is you, uh, you know, you remember how God has brought you through those, those hard times. Um, you know, one of the things that I do in, in, you know, in my morning time is I'm journaling and, uh, and, and, and in that those journals oftentimes are prayers where I, where I'm writing, you know, you know, I'm writing to God about what's going on the challenges that we face and all that, because, you know, you, you know, you mentioned about uh, the nonprofit, the warrior's refuge and, you know, and, and, I, and I know that you run a nonprofit as well, but, you know, we're, you know, we're on the front lines. I mean, we're dealing with, you know, real issues, people wanting to hurt themselves or people who have lost everything. Some of the people that come to see us um, are, are in a bad place and, you know, times can be tough or maybe there's financial concerns. Maybe, you know, there's, there's been a delay in, you know, in this grant or that grant, or, you know, we, you know, we didn't get this grant or whatever it is. There's a financial concern. And, you know, um, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, you know, the questions go on and on. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it's not easy, but, you know, one of the things that I, I continue to reflect back on is, 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 a, is a couple of passages. Um, one is, um, and, and this is kind of my, my transformed passage, in, in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, there's, there's this part in there, and a lot of us know, the, the, know the, the passage that talks about, and he will give you beauty for ashes. Well, most people think that's a really cute verse. Oh, you know, you have a few ashes, and he's going to give you something beautiful. No. What it means is if, is if all you have left are ashes, it must have been one hell of a fire. And what he's saying is, I will take whatever is left and I will bring something absolutely wonderful from it. And, and I continue to rely on that and call upon that promise. And, and I have yet to see it not come to pass. It may not come to pass in my timing because I could be really impatient, but it does come. And uh, just continuing to rely on those promises and they do come to pass. So let's talk about your day job if we can. <laughs> okay. We just touched on there for a moment. What motivated you to start the Warriors Refuge? And as you were putting your own life back together, did you have any trouble convincing people that you could build and lead a credible organization? Well, you know, I will tell you that the, uh, the shelter was, was kind of a dream of mine when I, you know, the part of my story I didn't share was that, you know, when I lost everything, there was a point where I spent 120 days in a veterans homeless shelter and it became a launching pad for me. It, it allowed me to get back on my feet, um, not having to worry about how I was going to pay the bills 
and really get my life together. And, and it did exactly that. And that, put, and that, and that uh, was the model for what I wanted to do, be able to do in the future. But one of the toughest things in the world is allowing a municipality to allow you to build a shelter in their city. Uh, it is one of the toughest things to get through that you would imagine. Um, but then one day I, uh, uh, I was invited to a disabled American veterans Christmas party. Uh, my dad invited me and, and I really didn't want to go. Uh, I'll be honest because a lot of times, um, I mean, you know, I'm 56 and I would say I was probably 50, 51 at the time. And, um, yeah, about 51 and, uh, and my wife talked me into going, she said, your dad's invited you, you need to go. Uh, and we just happened to sit next to a guy who owned a former nursing home that wanted to do something for veterans. He was older. He was in his mid eighties, didn't have the energy, didn't have capacity to do it. And he's, you know, so we talked and before I knew it, we had been gifted a, a million dollar building to get started. Now we didn't have any money. Um, you know, we didn't have any money at all. Um, you know, I was working as a, as a pastor in a, in a uh, church plant in a, a church that had just started. So there was, there was no, there was no money. There was no deep pockets to, to fund this. Um, and you're right. Going around to people and saying, Hey, you know, this is what we're doing. We could really use your support. It rang on a lot of deaf ears. Um, but I, but I have to tell you when we, when we finally had our, our big fundraiser, we had a pretty good turnout. We had several hundred people show up. And we did okay, even though we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And then I will tell you the miracle of all miracles happened. Uh, I get a call on December 31st and there's a local foundation uh, there in West Columbia that I didn't even know existed, um, called me and said, uh, we have a check for you. And I'm thinking, great, you know, three, 300, 400, $500 or so. And no, it was, you know, a quarter million. Um, and all of a sudden, all the worries, all the challenges went away. We were able to hire a grant writer that helped us after that be able to get the uh, um, the VA and the Department of Labor grants and the Department of Health and Human Services grants, and uh, made us, you know, you know where we are. I mean, you know, I look at it at every level that this, you know, that the whole process has been a miracle. But absolutely, everybody does look at you like you're, you know, you want to do what, and you have how much experience doing that. Um, it's a miracle. It really is. And once you get that grant, you're like the dog that, that caught the car, you're like, oh crap, what do I do now? <laughs> but off you go. And, and, and here you are running phenomenal, phenomenal shelter. Yeah. So let's talk about the people that the Warriors Refuge serves. Are there common denominators among homeless veterans? Say that again, I'm sorry. Are there common denominators among homeless veterans? Yeah, there are. Um, um, really, we're, we're, we're working with two different types of, of veterans, um, two different basic groups. One is, um, you know, Vietnam era, uh, late Vietnam, uh, era veterans. And then we're, you know, desert storm, you know, operation enduring freedom, you know, Afghanistan, you know, you know, Iraq veterans. Those are the, those are the two basic groups we're dealing with. And, um, both of them have, you know, have challenges. Um, I would say the, um, 
the greatest common denominator between the two of them is um, I'll just, I mean, you know, it may sound like a fallback, but it is uh, oftentimes undiagnosed PTSD and mental health challenges. It's not always PTSD. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's something greater than that. But the, but the challenge with that is, especially as it goes undiagnosed, is it leads to other things where they're, where, you know, the, where, you know, where they try it, where they try to fix it themselves. And that usually comes back into drugs or alcohol. Um, so they end up um, taking one to help solve the other and it makes it all worse. In fact, statistically, they say that 70% of those who suffer with PTSD do not know that there are answers to it and they don't know that they have it, um, but they do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, so, so I would say those are probably the, you know, the, you know, the largest common denominator. One of the things that happens um, that, you know, some people don't realize is that, you know, you, you know, you say the military training is, is great and it, it gives you all these, these skill sets and, and really it does. But one of the challenges is, you know, say that you're, you know, that, you know, that you're infantry and, 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 and I'm so grateful for those guys and what they do. But the problem is, let's say you're suffering from PTSD based on the things you experienced carrying that rifle or whatever it is you were doing on the front lines. You come back, your skill set has trained you to do what? Carry a gun and put yourself in dangerous situations, not compatible with what's going on between your ears. So what does that leave you with? Well, that leaves you um, unable to effectively earn an income with this current skill sets you have. And so that's, that's, that's something that, you know, I, I haven't seen true, truly effectively addressed in the, in, in the way that the military exits people out, because uh, I'm not really sure how you would do that, to be honest. Um, there's lots of good education programs, but not everybody is, you know, is, you know, is meant to be in college and they don't necessarily promote the, the, uh, book, you know, the vocational stuff. That's why at the, at the refuge, one of the things we do is we have uh, vocational training. We have heavy equipment that we train veterans to operate on. In fact, we have three pieces of heavy equipment that are out on a job site that our veterans are operating while they're learning how to operate it and get certified in it. And the cool thing is, Chris, that I, you know, that, you know, the reason we chose that area is one, there's always a need for people to do that. And secondly, our disabled veterans can operate that equipment. Last year, we talked about the different definitions and different degrees of homelessness and near homelessness. Those differences may come as a surprise to some people. Can you walk us through those differences and why those distinctions are important? Well, you know, there are, you know, really there's um, two areas that I, that I focus on. There's, there's, and you're right, there are different degrees. There's, um, there's at risk of being homeless. There's, um, homeless. And then there's, you know, um, episodic homelessness. In other words, it, it just continues. Um, but the, you know, the two that we really focus on are the, um, really, really, I guess we, we, we spend time with all three, but the ones that I talk about the most are just being homeless and at risk, you know, homeless can mean that, you know, you're couch surfing, you know, you're staying on a friend's couch. You do not have a permanent residence and, Homelessness can mean, you know, you're living in your car or your truck. Um, 
you know, and so there's, so there's that, um, being at risk of being homeless is a definition that is subject to lots of questions. Um, and different people look at it different ways. The way that, the way that I look at it is this, is that if, if somebody were to lose their job and, um, struggle for the next 90 days, um, they, 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 to me are at, at risk of being homeless, uh, because in 90 days, they may very well no longer be able to pay their bills and be on the street. Sometimes it's less than that. Uh, and if there's not an effective family structure around them, which a lot of times there's not, um, you know, they become at risk. So one of the, you know, you know, you know, one of the scary numbers in the, in the veteran community is while there's between, you know, depending upon whose numbers you look at, there's between 40 and a hundred thousand homeless vets at any one time in America. Um, there's approximately 1.5 million veterans that are at risk of becoming homeless in America. And that's a scary number. And a lot of times that at risk number has to do with, um, undiagnosed mental health issues, um, um, training vocational skills with the, with the cost of everything going up with, with, uh, um, not necessarily pay going up, you know, there's, you know, what's going to happen there. And, you know, that, that ends up being a trigger as well. So there's, um, you know, there are some challenges there. The, the, you know, the, you know, you know, the third time, the third type is the uh, episodic. And those are those that they, they get better for a little while. They get out on their own and they, you know, they, they, they fall back into something uh, like drugs or alcohol or can't manage their own mental health. They, they have to go back to the hospital and they become homeless again. Um, and we see that I would say out of, you know, we've got, you know, as many as 65 veterans at our facility there in West Columbia, um, I would say a, about a third are probably episodic homeless. The last time we spoke, you said, nobody sees the difference that their kind words make. That takes us back to what you were talking about early in this conversation. when we were talking about the impact we make each day without even realizing it. Do you have a trick or routine that you follow to consistently remind yourself about the difference that your kind words can make? And how can the rest of us do a better job in that area? Well, I'll tell you that one of my, one of my best, one of the best parts of my world is, is my wife reminding me, Hey, you need to, you need to make sure you tell that person, thank you. And, and you know, she's, uh, she's, she's, she's a big help there. Um, really, I guess the, you know, you know, the key is, um, approaching it intentionally. Um, just an intentionality of trying to every day. Um, and, and this is one thing getting back, back to, uh, back to journaling is that, you know, make it one of the things that you write about in a gratitude portion of a journal. You know, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to say some encouraging words to the bank teller, the, the person at the drive-through, the, you know, the person at the, at the restaurant, one of the things that I, that I, that I wrote about, um, one of the, uh, what, one of, you know, cause, because I read a lot too, but, and, and, and one of the guys that I've read a lot of recently is, you know, Robin Sharma. 
uh, great guy. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that he does is, uh, he'll go to a restaurant and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get a bottle of wine. He'll drink one glass and give the rest of the bottle to the kitchen staff. Um, while I don't necessarily drink, one of the things I do try to do is, um, I'll, you know, the person that's, that's coming by to clean up tables, uh, I will make sure to hand them, hand them a tip themselves. In addition to the person that's, uh, you know, you know, you know, you know, waiting on us just to try to, again, reach out and make a difference. Um, just, but just being intentional. Uh, that's the main thing and kind of holding yourself accountable through that journaling can, can, can you know, can, can do a lot. And how does someone get in touch with you if you want to help out your cause or invite you to speak to their group? Well, there's a lot of different ways they can do that. Uh, my, uh, my, you know, my email address is um, drcliff at thewarriorsrefuge.us. That's probably the easiest way to get there. Um, uh, you can also call the Warriors Refuge at 979-345-3800 and ask for me and the, and the number will be patched to me wherever I am, whether I'm in the building or I'm somewhere else. And more uh, importantly, where can they find your books? <laughs> well, they can find, they can find my books on Amazon. Um, you know, whether, whether it's transformed or, um, your life matters, you can go there or I've got a website, your life matters today.com. And you can find them both on there as well. You'll also find my blog there too. So, um, I, I do, I do some other writing along, along with it. So, so yeah, you can go to those two places, um, Amazon or, um, uh, your life matters today.com. Dr. Cliff Robertson, Jr. Author of transformed and your life matters the toolkit to change your world. Thanks so much for being us today. It was an honor, Chris, truly an honor. No honor was mine. And as always, thank you to the greatest audience in the world for tuning in to next steps forward. I'm Chris Meek for more details about upcoming shows and guests. Please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.